0: Thinking
1: Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove.
0: Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the subject of apparitions. With me is Professor Stephen Browdy former chairman of the Philosophy Department at the University of Maryland, and author of many interesting books of a parapsychological nature and a paranormal nature, including Limits of Influence, The Gold Leaf Lady, ESP and Psychokinesis, Crimes of Reason, First Person Plural, and Immortal Remains. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, People are often confused by the term apparitions because some people might think it means hallucinations, other people might think it means ghosts. Uh, How do you view the subject? It
1: is a confusing term, apparitions, and one of the reasons I think it's confusing is that members of the Society for Psychical Research often classified apparitions as a form of hallucinations, sometimes veridical hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So that's a very strange use of the term hallucination, but it's uh, it's contributed to the unclarity, I
0: think. Let's define for our viewers what a veridical hallucination might be.
1: Well, if, for example, um, I hallucinated a human figure telling me about something happening at a remote location, and then it turned out that in fact what the hallucination was telling me happened at the remote location was in fact happening, mm-hmm. that would be a veridical hallucination where something in the hallucinatory experience corresponded to an,
0: an actual state of affairs. Yeah. Oh, okay, and um in the 19th century, the Society for Psychical Research began collecting individual accounts of uh, such events. Thousands of them, Mm -hmm.
1: and classified into two major categories, apparitions of the dead, and
0: apparitions of the living. Mm -hmm. And they had huge collections of both sorts. Yeah, Apparitions of the living suggesting that uh, a person might be able to concentrate on uh, being in another location and people in that other location might have an experience of seeing them there, or her there. Um, Yes, and it was something of a pastime in the late 19th century.
1: People would often experimentally try to make apparitions of themselves appear to
0: others. Mm -hmm. And I think in other cultures this sort of thing uh, is also known to occur. uh, Tibetan Buddhism for example
1: well you are the authority on that but I believe that is the case
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes in Asia it, it often happens as well
0: yeah so you've got apparitions of the living Correct. which you would uh, ascribe to psychokinesis
1: well we not always yeah. um, there are different kinds there are apparitions that are experienced only by one person mm-hmm. and for those in many cases the Best explanation might be a telepathic explanation. And some of those are crisis apparitions, where um, the apparitional experience occurs more or less simultaneously with a crisis in the life of the person or the individual of whom there's an apparition. Yes. and sometimes those are animal apparitions. Mm -hmm. There's a very famous case of writer Haggard who experienced an apparition of famous uh, novelist. Yes, Mm -hmm. of his dog Bob um, which apparently coincided, they discovered later, with Bob's being hit by a train and getting killed.
0: Yeah. Well, as I recall, the crisis apparition was the single most commonly reported spontaneous psychic experience uh, collected by the society in the 19th century. Yes, that's correct. And I can tell you, just parenthetically, uh, I experienced a, a crisis apparition. I guess it would be called that. It happened in a dream. I you know, I was dreaming, and a great uncle of mine with whom I had had no contact for perhaps a decade or so, appeared in my dream. It was very, very moving to me when when I uh, woke up from the dream. I was crying and singing at the same time so it was it was one of those experiences that is more real than real in emotionally. Uh, In particular, I've never in my life had an experience like that, crying and singing at the same time. One of the things that strikes me about apparitions Mm -hmm. is that
1: you and I have many cases discussed how academics and other um, professionals often don't really admit in public that they've had paranormal or ostensibly paranormal experiences. But among those academics who have told me about their experiences, Mm -hmm. they've almost invariably been apparitional experiences. Mm -hmm. An ex-father-in-law who's an anatomist at Ohio State had an apparitional experience of seeing his old friend Harry, I think his name was, while my father-in-law was busy fixing some uh, lures for fly fishing. And it wasn't until a few moments into the experience that he realized his friend was actually dead, mm-hmm. and so he shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Uh, my dissertation advisor had an apparitional experience of a woman climbing in his bedroom window. Uh, these are things that they don't admit to anybody but me, but I find it interesting that
0: the experiences are actually quite common. Well. And I imagine almost every parapsychologist who gives public talks has had the experience of people coming up to them afterwards, and and they often preface their remarks with this phrase, I've never told anybody else before about this, but I want to tell you because they know it's safe. Yes. And uh, so these are common experiences that are just not discussed because it's sort of a taboo topic. It is. One thing I should also mention is that although the
1: large majority of apparitional experiences seem to be visual, Mm -hmm. uh, they're not always visual. Sometimes it could be an auditory or an olfactory apparitional experience but uh, localized in a certain place Mm -hmm. and sometimes animals respond uh, to the location even before the human's experience something at that location.
0: Now, in your book, Limits of Influence, where you have a chapter on apparitions, you you bring up the fact that animals sometimes respond and you suggest that that seems to indicate that the apparition might not just be a mental phenomenon, but it might represent something that is in some sense physical. In some ways, the cases that interest me the most
1: are the ones where the apparition is collectively observed. Mm -hmm. Because there, the telepathic explanations for the apparitions, which might work pretty smoothly for individual experiences, uh, are, I think, strained to the breaking point. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is this. The two main telepathic theories of collective apparitions are as follows. One I call the shotgun theory. That's where we suppose that the individual of whom there's an apparition telepathically affects a bunch of people at the location where the apparition is seen but
0: affects them individually. Mm -hmm. Um, Which might account for the fact that not everybody will see an apparition that is seen collectively by many people.
1: Yes, that's considered to be one of the at least superficial advantages of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another variant of uh, the telepathic theory would be what I call the infection theory Mm -hmm. and that is where the person of whom there's an apparition uh, telepathically influences one person at the scene, that person then affects individually or collectively the other people at the scene so that um,
0: the apparition
1: is dramatically appropriate and a bunch of people all or many of them uh,
0: seem to experience the apparition. And that infection might be through paranormal means or maybe through normal means? Could be, Mm -hmm. yes. Now
1: What I like to think about the collective cases is that another live option and in some ways the better option is to suppose that the apparition experienced collectively is an actual object at the location produced psychokinetically by the individual of whom there is an apparition. Mm -hmm. And even there the fact that not everybody experiences the object um, can make a lot of sense. There are all sorts of physical objects that are not visible from every angle. Think of rainbows, electromagnetic fields, uh, gases, um, mirror images. Mm -hmm. These are all phenomena that are localized in a certain region of space but where people have to be uh, positioned in a certain way in order to experience
0: them. Well, the idea of a mirror image is uh, a very intriguing one. Some people, uh, you have to be positioned just right. right. To to see it, I think one of the most intriguing aspects of apparitions is, is that sometimes people interact with them. Uh, yes, they've been known
1: to chase them. They've been known to speak to them, and the apparition seemingly respond. Or, well, I should say, just seemingly respond, because they might try to talk to them, and the apparition might wave, but sort of vacantly wave. Yeah. Uh, there's not the kind of interaction usually that you get in cases suggesting post-mortem survival where there's real back and forth between mm. uh, the entities.
0: Well Raymond Moody, uh, who is a pioneer in the field of near-death experience, has also done uh, extensive investigations of apparitions. He created a technique for producing apparitions, known as the psychomantium, where people situate themselves in a darkened room, maybe with a black background, such as we have here, but the light's out, Mm -hmm. and a mirror in in the room, and uh, often prepare themselves psychologically and uh, experience Uh, apparitions then, often of of departed loved ones. Now, Moody doesn't believe that this is necessarily a paranormal phenomenon. He thinks of it more in terms, I think, of a psychological projection. But he told me that on one occasion, after being in the psychomantium for a few hours, he walked into his own living room, and there sitting on a couch was an ant of his, and he sat down and he conversed with her. He said for about an hour, back and forth, normal conversation, before it dawned on him, that she had died, and uh, wasn't alive, and then she just sort of evaporated, or he he turned away, and then he looked back, and she was gone. And and then he realized that the whole experience was uh, not a normal, uh, experience, not, not a conventionally physical right. e- experience. He insists that uh, it must have been a psychological projection on his part.
1: That would certainly make sense in that case. And mm-hmm. again, that's one reason I think the collective cases are so interesting, because yeah. their a paranormal explanation of some kind seems mandatory, mm-hmm. although it's not clear what and let me, I never did say what was wrong with the telepathic explanations of collective cases. The main problem seems to be that it's very difficult to appeal to telepathy to explain why people at the scene where the apparition is experienced experience the apparition at the same time and from appropriate uh, positions in space. Mm -hmm. I mean one of the things I think that makes sense to say about telepathy is that, assuming it's real of course, it's at least a two-stage process first there's going to be a kind of interaction or stimulus stage where the remote individual of whom there's an apparition telepathically interacts with the person who experiences the mm-hmm. apparition, and then there's a manifestation or response stage yeah. and there can always be a delay uh, between the interaction and the response stage with the stimulus and response stage, mm-hmm. and in fact it's a well-known phenomenon in apparitional cases uh, to, that there is a delay this is called telepathic deferment and it's believed by many that uh, deferment occurs because the people who experience an apparition have to be in the right mindset to have it in the first place maybe it's a state of relaxation mm-hmm. and this is why in crisis cases the apparitional experience isn't had until sometime after the actual crisis when the person is
0: about to fall asleep or
1: resting in a chair or something of that sort the recipient
0: the recipient yes Yeah, because if it's telepathy you need a sender and a receiver
1: yes that's probably a clearer way of putting it so
0: um, the
1: puzzle and the telepathic explanations of collective cases is why the various recipients should be having um, the experience of the apparition at the same time if Mm -hmm. there could be uh, a kind of delay they might not all be in the right mindset to experience an apparition at that time and not only that but just as every other experience we have is going to be filtered through our own uh, collection of biases predispositions and favorite images and so on you know, putting its own idiosyncratic cognitive stamp on our experiences. Mm -hmm. It's not clear why, either on the shotgun or the infection theories, so many people at the scene of the apparition would have concordant experiences.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, in your book you report on a number of interesting cases, as I recall, and on one of them the apparition actually appeared to be eating. Uh, yes, that
1: was an Asian case. Mm-hmm. It could equally be regarded as a case of bi-location mm-hmm. where he was seen at one location and then seen apparently in a physical form at another location where he had some tea and cookies.
0: And uh, then in the first location he told, uh, this is a, some type of Indian guru, yes. practiced bi-location as yes. a spiritual discipline and he told his disciples check in this other city to see if they can confirm that I was there. Yeah, this is an unusual
1: case because there were physical traces of the apparition's uh, presence. Mm -hmm. That's very unusual because apparitions don't usually leave any physical trace. Um, They seem to pass through walls or doors and things of that sort, Mm -hmm. but they don't leave any marks behind. In this
0: particular instance, the uh, Bilocated individual or the apparition asked a child to provide food and yes. tea, as I recall.
1: Yes, and the tea was found later to be partially consumed and the cookie as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So I guess we have to look at uh, out of body experiences, uh, bilocation, as somehow related to apparitions, particularly apparitions of the living. Uh,
1: I would think so, and there are so many puzzles, I actually don't know what to say. One of the standard questions that gets raised about apparitional cases uh, is captured by a familiar question, why do ghosts wear clothes? Mm -hmm. So um, why, we tend to think that if the apparition is um, a secondary body of the person appearing at another location why does that individual secondary body come clothed in anything at all? Why shouldn't we be seeing more examples of uh, naked apparitions? Mm -hmm. But in fact, apparitions are seen wearing clothes,
0: um, sometimes accompanied by animals. Mm -hmm. Who are not wearing clothes. (laughs) Yes, right. Well, which is what we're accustomed to see in, in normal physical uh, experience. So it could be a psychological projection of the recipient or it could be uh, maybe part of uh, the accoutrement of, of, of uh, you know, by locating. It's hard to know what to say, yeah.
1: but it's one of the reasons I'm tempted to look seriously yeah. at the psychokinetic explanation mm-hmm. of at least collective apparition. Sure. Um, Because, you know, you might be tempted to say the apparition itself, the human figure, or the animal figure, Mm -hmm. is an actual projection of an individual secondary body, but then what are you going to say about the clothes? If that's a psychokinetic uh, accoutrement, Mm -hmm. um, then why not say that the apparition itself is a psychokinetic uh, Mm -hmm. object?
0: Well, it seems as if you're getting into a very uh, fuzzy area here, because you're talking about these uh, psychokinetic Apparitions as being physical, but not fully physical, the way you and I are talking to not each other. Not like solid bodies. Not like solid bodies. It it sort of evokes various uh, esoteric concepts, like the astral body or the etheric body. And uh, as I recall, you're not too comfortable with with that line of thought either.
1: No, what I actually connect the apparitions to rather is materialization phenomena in cases of physical mediumship. Mm-hmm. I mean, there we have lots of. Um, well attested cases of physical mediums producing partial materializations you know of just limbs or full figure materializations yeah. and in some of those cases the ap- the materialized figures have been examined very carefully by physicians for example in the famous brazilian case of carlos mirabelli he produced full figure materializations ostensibly in broad daylight mm-hmm. attending physicians would record uh, ordinary bodily functions and then the materialized figure would melt into the floor, for example. Mm-hmm. So we've got that substantial body of evidence and I don't see why we need to suppose that materialized figures must occur at the same location as the person producing the materialized
0: figure. Mm-hmm. No, I can uh, imagine that uh, it could well be distant. So. Now we're talking about what, I guess it was Charles Roche, the uh, Nobel laureate, French physiologist, termed ectoplasm. Uh,
1: yes, mm-hmm. um, not a clear term, granted, because it seems to cover a variety of different kinds of uh, materials and phenomena, from yeah. uh, paper-like flat cutouts to um, apparently living human, or living forms that mm-hmm. exude from a medium's orifices sometimes evolve into shapes like a little hand that wiggles its
0: fingers. Yeah. It's almost like play-doh or... Something like that, Something, yes. Some sort of substance that can take many different forms, textures and shapes, can be photographed, can be touched, yes. uh, sometimes feels like living tissue, sometimes does not. And then dematerializes. Mm-hmm. The thing about
1: materialized figures is that they always dematerialize. So they may have been there for a while. The other thing about materialized figures, and this may get us somewhat off topic, but I think it's an interesting uh, digression, um, the form that these ectoplasmic manifestations take might be the result of a certain kind of experimenter effect. So let me give you an example. Um, one of the great mediums from the heyday of physical mediumship was uh, an Irish medium, a young woman named Kathleen Mm Gallagher. Her principal investigator was W.J. Crawford, a mechanical engineer. And Crawford wanted to understand how Kathleen was able to uh, levitate tables, and he conjectured that she was exuding ectoplasm which would brace itself on the floor and raise the table as if it was a cantilever and he actually took photographs of the ectoplasm coming out of her abdomen, bracing itself on the floor, and then propping up the table. Uh-huh. Now, think of it, that would be exactly the kind of explanation of table levitation that might appeal to a mechanical engineer.
0: Yes. meanwhile, it's certainly not consistent with many other examples of table levitation.
1: Right. Now, on the continent in Europe, uh, Richet and Jay Lee and some others were examining another medium named Eva C, mm-hmm. whose ectoplasmic manifestations were much more biological in nature. Yes. So Jay Lee, Frank Notzing, and Richet all reported watching this stuff ooze out of Eva C, and some creeps coming out of her vagina, as yes, I recall. Yeah. Uh, creep along the floor, take mm-hmm. the shape of uh, beginning to take the shape of a hand, and then more fully formed hand and wiggle mm-hmm. the fingers. Yes. Now. All three of those investigators were biologists or physiologists Mm -hmm. and again the form of the ectoplasm seems peculiarly adapted to their own professional dispositions. There was an opportunity missed at this point in history because nobody was taking experimenter effects very seriously yeah. at the time. I think it would have been really revealing, or at least potentially, and certainly interesting, for those investigators to switch mediums for Jay Lee and the rest to study Kathleen Gallagher mm-hmm. and for Crawford to study Eva C and to see whether the ectoplasm that they observed conformed to the expectations
0: of the experimenter or to the traditions mm-hmm. of the medium that were already established. Because there's a lot of thought these days in parapsychology that uh, these phenomena are systems effects that all of the people involved in the social milieu come together to produce the phenomena. At least potentially. We have no way of knowing
1: exactly who is contributing what or how much. Mm -hmm. But I think the only sensible approach to take is that everybody even remotely connected and maybe some people not so connected to the experiment might have a hand in producing the final result.
0: I suppose it's worth mentioning uh, in closing that uh, sometimes uh, apparition like phenomena uh, occur uh, uh, produced artificially, such as uh, the Philip uh, experiment in Toronto. Uh, yes, that's a case you could say of PK by committee, mm-hmm. uh,
1: where members of the Toronto Society for Psychical Research. Um, Created a character called they called Philip. They gave him a, an entirely fictitious history uh, They spent a lot of time really Im- immersing themselves in the story of Philip And then they tried to communicate at a seance with Philip. Mm-hmm. They got wraps in the table They got table levitations or at least movements and the table flipping itself over and The responses to questions they asked to Philip were appropriate to what they knew about Philip so if the they story asked, they had created yes yeah, so if they asked the character Philip something to which they didn't have a clear answer Philip's responses via raps were always rather indistinct but when it was uh, an answer that they would easily have
0: expected the responses were very strong mm-hmm. Well and this is a case where uh, not quite an apparition because nobody claimed to have seen Philip but everything else suggested there was a character in the room
1: yes. And so it's a a reminder that we shouldn't too glibly adopt a survivalist interpretation of phenomena that look very much like standard mediumistic phenomena.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's also a reminder uh, that when people report these sorts of uh, bizarre experiences that uh, it's not wise to dismiss them out of hand as so many people tend to do.
1: Uh, Right, it's certainly not just um, something that can be attributed to um, hypnosis or hallucination for example. Those are very weak explanations. Mm -hmm. So when everybody at a seance experiences um, the same ostensible paranormal physical phenomenon, If we try to say that the medium just hypnotized, that usually is a way of betraying your ignorance about the nature of hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things we definitely know about hypnosis is that people differ, sometimes dramatically, in their degree of hypnotic susceptibility. So um, there really is no evidence for collective hypnosis of the kind that would
0: be required to explain away cases of physical mediumship. Stephen Browdy, thank you so much for being with me. I know we could talk a long time about apparitions, materializations, apports, macro-psychokinesis, and, and physical mediumship, and I hope we pursue this topic uh, even further. I'm sure we will. Thank you. And thank you for being with us.